Let us pray. Dear God in Jesus Christ, you reconciled all things and all people to yourself. All people. And so we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to expand our vision so we might join what you are doing in our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there is an Ethiopian eunuch, our story tells us today, who is a court official of the queen of the Ethiopians in charge of her whole treasury. And it is this very finance minister who now sets out on a very long pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh, the God whose saving love extends to the ends of the earth. But who tells this eunuch about the God of Abraham and Sarah? And what exactly prompts him to make this perilous journey? We don't know, do we? We'd sure like to know. But for weeks on end, this God-seeker makes the 2,000-mile journey from his homeland down in the Horn of Africa. This eunuch travels by boat over sea and by chariot over land toward ever toward the Holy of Holies of God's presence in the Jerusalem temple. Now in the ancient world, eunuch is an umbrella term that encompasses men who are unable to procreate because of castration, because they are born without male organs, or because they are not attracted to women. In Greek, eunuchos simply means keeper of the bedchamber. Keeper of the bedchamber. And eunuchs are given such intimate access to the royal household and to the harem and such power because they pose absolutely no threat to the royal bloodline. Now, when this Ethiopian eunuch finally, finally, finally reaches Jerusalem, he arrives there as a triple outsider. He's a Gentile seeker. He's a black African, and he is a eunuch. He doesn't fit the mold 
religiously, racially, or sexually. Not being a circumcised Jew and perhaps not ever able to become one, this Gentile pilgrim is barred from entering the inner courtyards that surround the holy temple sanctuary. Remember we talked about that several weeks ago in the sermon on the temple. And a sign even threatens death, death, to any Gentile who dares to go through the gate. Now, because he is not only a Gentile, but also a eunuch, he very probably is not even able to enter into the outer courtyard of the Gentiles either. Remember, that's the place where Jesus drove out the money changers. Deuteronomy 23.1 clearly says that no male whose parts whose male parts are crushed or cut off, shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. And that, by the way, is a PG paraphrase of that verse. That's probably why I stumbled over it. I doubt Deuteronomy 23.1 was ever a memory verse for any of us. Feel free to memorize it, though. (laughs) You see, eunuchs are regarded as mutilated and blemished. Leviticus 22.25. And unfit. Unfit for communion with God. So put yourselves in this eunuch's sandals. And ask yourself, what was it like after you arrived in the city of David? What is it like for this pilgrim to find himself now so completely despised and rejected? What's it like? What's it like to make such an arduous pilgrimage and then to be deprived of the very access to God which you are seeking? What's that like? On his journey home, isn't it fascinating that our dear friend now, of all the scrolls this eunuch could have chosen, he brings along in his chariot the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Wow. Just a coincidence? Isaiah, who in chapter 53, which he is now reading, describes a suffering Messiah, a lamb unjustly led to the slaughter. And if he keeps on rolling down his scroll to chapter 56, he will read about a vision for fully welcoming all foreigners and all eunuchs finally into the temple so that it might now finally become a house of prayer for all people. 
The evangelist Philip is up in Samaria above Jerusalem, way above Jerusalem. When an angel tells him to go to some deserted road several days away by foot. Now, this Jewish follower of Jesus is instructed to leave his flourishing ministry among the Samaritans, who are joyfully now receiving the gospel and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's told to leave all that behind and to head south of Jerusalem down a wilderness road toward Gaza. Imagine what that's like for Philip to receive such a strange, strange message. Is this one of these situations where the angel surely needs to repeat the message three times? Perhaps, huh? You see, throughout the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit actively disrupting human plans and transforming old human understandings. The hearers of the Great Commission from Jesus are now sent to invite all people into the great communion of God. The hearers of the Great Commission are sent out to invite all people into the great communion of God. And in Acts, an astonishing array of people responds. Astonishing. Despised Samaritans, Cornelius, the despised Roman centurion, Lydia, the Gentile merchant of purple cloth, Paul, the rabid persecutor of the church, and today, an Ethiopian eunuch. In our story, the Holy Spirit commands Philip to go do three things. Get up. Go. And join. And so, on that wilderness road, off he goes chasing after the chariot that's just gone rolling by. And when he finally catches it, what is it like for him to discover such an absolutely strange man sitting in the, black, in the back seat? I mean, wasn't it enough, hard enough, having the Holy Spirit lead him by the collar to share the gospel with hated Samaritans? My goodness. And now, with a eunuch too? Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asks him, huffing and puffing. And that's when the eunuch invites him up into his chariot to sit beside him to be his guide. What deeply ingrained and visceral revulsion must Philip have to overcome in order to climb up into that seat beside the eunuch? Let's be real here.
the mission of God is so stretching, isn't it? So messy. It invariably takes us places we never, never, never thought we'd go. And so suddenly there they are, rolling down the road in a chariot, studying Isaiah together. Who said Bible study had to be dull? And there is Philip telling his new brother how this passage and the whole story, God's salvation story in the Hebrew Scriptures, culminates, reaches its full trajectory and apex in the saving and healing story of Jesus. And then, when they get near some water, the eunuch asks Philip a haunting question. What's to prevent? What's to prevent me from being baptized? Because after all that he's just experienced in Jerusalem, he knows that just about everything is preventing him from being baptized. Just about everything. But still, after what he's just experienced, a brand new communion with God, a brand new communion with this new brother in Christ, he can't help but ask. And the chariot now comes to a dusty halt. And these two are suddenly splashing and wading into the water. Verse 38, down goes the eunuch. Into the water, his old false self dying with Jesus. And up he comes from the water, his new true self rising with Jesus. And now he heads home to Ethiopia rejoicing. And friends, joy, sweet joy, is always a sure sign, a giveaway of the Holy Spirit's presence. So we often call this story The story of the Ethiopian eunuch's conversion, don't we? But isn't this also the story of Philip's conversion as well? Isn't this the story of Philip dying? Dying to his old religious, racial, and sexual understandings and rising up to a new awareness of the great communion of God. The beloved community where all people, all people have free and unhindered access to God, even eunuchs. And isn't it amazing how this privileged religious insider actually listens to the Holy Spirit. He could have put 
the Holy Spirit on call waiting. But he listens. And because of this, he joins and he connects this Ethiopian outsider with God, even though he has every scriptural reason not to. The plain meaning of the Hebrew scriptures forbid him from doing so. But still, he does. So, what gives? What happens? Well, the Holy Spirit happens. Just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit comes to guide us into all truth, even when that truth is incredibly difficult to bear. Again and again in the book of Acts, it is because previously despised outsiders receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what is this? It's overflowing joy. It's speaking in tongues. It's boldly being willing to suffer now in the name of Jesus. Because of this, that privileged religious insiders finally throw in the towel and they say, as Peter does, who am I to hinder God? Modern translation, who am I to mess with God and the people that God has already chosen? Something absolutely riveting is happening in the early church. The Holy Spirit abiding in the apostles is meeting the newly received Holy Spirit abiding in these outsiders. The Christ in them is meeting the Christ in others. And they suddenly find themselves in the great communion of God and realizing that they are all connected branches on the very same vine. And so must we as well. Black or white, straight or gay, religious insiders like me and outsiders as well, male or female, rich or poor. And by the lavish grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, He has given us this holy meal so that we might continue to experience and to contemplate the great communion of God. To be converted by it again and again. To be nourished for our beautiful and ever-stretching journey of faith. And to keep us asking, 
What is preventing? Preventing. What is preventing others from being here at this table with us? Amen.